Hey guys, nice to see you again. Do you want to talk about things? I like things, and one of my favourite things is f forking and forks <laughs> and hard ones. <laughs> Soft ones, hard ones, uh, all kinds of forks are good for me. Let's talk fork. Okay. Uh, just to start off, uh, I'm Anna. I'm Frederick. And for the purposes of this podcast, I'm Jeff. Uh-huh. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the hard fork uh, in Ethereum that happened earlier this week. Um, most of the people listening may know what a hard fork is, but if they don't, I'm going to give a little definition. A hard fork is a significant change applied to a blockchain protocol. And it requires that all nodes and users upgrade to the latest version of that protocol software. Uh, basically, um, the hard fork is a pretty extreme change in a protocol, and it is something that needed, like, it's happened five times in Ethereum's history, so obviously this is a pretty major deal to have it happen uh, this week. And this is something that we'd like to talk about, kind of explore some of the reasons for this, the lead-up to it, maybe look a little bit at some of the issues with this rollout, and, yeah, and, and take a little look at what could be coming up in the future. So I think maybe a bit more of a, a layman's explanation of, of a hard fork is that uh, a, a blockchain is a series of, of discrete blocks. It's not like a continuous, continuous thing. It's broken up into, into chunks. And, and at a hard fork, uh, everyone decides to change the rules as of a certain block number. So, you know, uh, between one and number four, it has some set of rules. And then everyone decides that at number five, they will all change the rules. Uh, and, and it's important that everyone has to decide, because otherwise uh, the, the ones that don't change will, will say, well, these don't fit the rules, so we have to get rid of these. Uh, and the ones that have changed say, well, these don't fit the new rules uh, if they're still on the old rule set, and so we have to get rid of these. Um, and this is why it's called a fork, because uh, the, the, the two groups on different rule sets will then end up um, uh, diverging because they will not uh, respect each other's blocks. I think that's a pretty good explanation. And I just want to go on the record of saying that I think the term hard fork is a very bad term. Like, I, I think it's terrible because it doesn't actually say much of what's going on. So it's, it's become a very contentious term. Uh, and it's, it sort of instills panic because people think that this means like a hard fork, hard fork automatically means that there will now be two coins. So in the case of Ethereum Classic, we had a hard fork that was actually not at all related to a protocol upgrade. It was someone saying that, hey, we should actually, like, it's still, um, in Jeff's terms, we're changing the rules. So the rules uh, that was changed in that case was one group wanted to um, allow the DAO hacker to get away with the funds he acquired, and the other group didn't want that. So that, that was to change in the rules. So it's, it, I think change in rules is a really good term to say, you know, why a hard fork happens. Uh, but a better, like, better term than hard fork, I think, is like a protocol upgrade versus a network split. Uh, because there's a lot of hard forks where the intention is to split the network. Like, that's what they want to do. So, yeah, th uh, this is the thing. It, it only... In a hard fork, a fork only actually happens if, if there are some people who want to continue on the old rule set. Uh, 
if there are no remaining clients on the old rule set, then, you know, it's if a tree falls it. in a forest, does it make a sound? <laughs> like, <laughs> the, uh, if everyone moves to the new rule set, has it forked or has it just, you know, uh, uh, t- changed direction? Um, I think that actually, Frederick, you make a really good point that right now the same terminology is used for both of those things. I think it definitely created a lot of anxiety for people. People were very concerned even with this fork that it would split off again, that there would somehow be another token created. Um, but it's been made very clear that that is not necessarily the outcome of a, of a hard fork. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit about why this was happening at all, like about Metropolis, about the planned Ethereum development, what's coming up. Right. What, what, what went into this hard fork, essentially? Yeah, so the, there are a few things that, that, that are part of this, and they're all uh, uh, specifically protocol-level upgrades. So uh, one thing about uh, Ethereum and pretty much every blockchain system that exists out there is that most of the functionality is baked into the actual uh, implementations of the clients and baked into consensus. So uh, you can't... Uh, really all a fork is, is is when you change the consensus um, but, but with Ethereum with a lot of these other ones you can't just change uh, these non-consensus related stuff without also changing consensus uh, because everything's intertwined so uh, you'll notice that like uh, none of these really necessarily require that people uh, stop accepting the old blocks but there's not really any way to, to do these upgrades without preventing without uh, the old clients from uh, discarding any changed blocks. So, uh, the the first one, something that's pretty uh, important to people who like failure, is uh, the revert opcode, which is basically... Uh, so, at so the moment, if you want to... Uh, if something goes wrong, and you want to... In, 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 a, in a contract, if you... I don't know. You go to your bank, you try and withdraw money, and then they find out that the... The account has no uh, uh, funds left in it. I mean, obviously, you could check in advance, um, but say that you're doing something a bit more complex and you're sort of checking as you go and you want to say, ah, something's gone wrong. Let's end this now. Um, Probably not that that dramatic. Uh, (laughs) The only way to do that at the moment is to just uh, pick some random point in memory, pretend it's a function, jump to that and then have the client say hey that's not a function and then blow up <laughs> which which uh, consumes all the all the gas so basically any money that you paid for that transaction just disappears uh, off the face of the earth um and is generally just a bit of a dramatic uh, uh way to, to to revert a transaction so this is a new opcode uh and i explained exactly why it's new rather than just changing the rules on how the old one worked it's a new opcode that um does this thing of reverting the state and goes back to where it was before the transaction, but doesn't use up all your all your money, all your gas. Um, so this is, uh, the, the, I think, something that's uh, familiar to any programmer as you know uh, an early return, where for some reason in your program you're saying you are not abiding by the rules, or like you said, if someone wants to withdraw money and there's you know an agency that has blocked this person from withdrawing money. You can now return early, so it's it's really an early return that doesn't consume. Like it, it just says, "Okay, we're done here. Um, we're not going to spend any more gas and stop." Well, we have we have early returns already. An important difference is that with exceptions, either with the uh, uh, shout and shit pants style that we used to have, and with the revert opcode, op both of them 
uh, they also revert any changes that you've done during that transaction. So if you've, I don't know, added some stuff to a database, if you've given some money to someone else already, that stuff will be undone uh, in both cases. Um, yeah, and, and, and so this is a new thing rather than just revert, rather than just add, allowing the shout and ship pants exception to uh, uh, not consume all the gas. Um, the reason that had to be new is because it's entirely possible that there are contracts out there that check the amount of gas used to find out whether or not the the the, the virtual machine has exploded, which is something that you should definitely never do, but you're allowed to do it, so people do do it. This is the um, the the PHP method of backwards compatibility. <laughs> you know, you know, we we allow them to do it, uh, and and people. Uh, stab themselves on their own sword, and now we we can't take the sword out in case it, they start bleeding out. Yes. So the next uh, Ethereum improvement proposal on our list to cover here is uh, transaction receipts, including a status field. So this is sort of re- related to the revert opcode. Um, like you said, there are people who uh, check that if all gas in a transaction has been consumed, they might or might not um, you know, count it as a failed transaction because it was out of gas. Um, that's obviously not a reliable way to do things. And when we have the revert opcode, we can actually fail a transaction without consuming all the gas. So uh, now we absolutely need a way to say, you know, is, was this transaction successful or not? So this status is now included in the transaction receipts that are included in in every block. And um, this is important for several reasons. Um, Most importantly, in my opinion, is that light clients can now easily uh, see if a um, transaction was successful or not. So do light clients, uh, I actually legitimately don't know this. At the moment, do light clients get that information? Do they have enough information to, to know whether a transaction has, has failed? Like, no, uh, not, not okay. that I'm aware of. Uh, I guess they don't get they don't get much, but they do get the transaction receipts. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's much more to that. That one's a pretty small one. Yeah. Hey, you can have the next one as well. I'll give you this. There's actually two more guy. that are uh, sort of related here and mm. um, often covered together. And that is the addition of um, you know, elliptic curve operations. Um, one is uh, integer modular exponentiation, and the other is uh, curve addition and scalar multiplication for a specific elliptic curve. So these are both cryptography-related things, uh, one specifically for elliptic curve cryptography and the other more uh, like you can almost do no cryptography at all without doing um, uh, integer modular exponentiation. So you uh, kind of need these things to do more advanced cryptography. The reason that these are being added and not just implemented in um, like contract code is that doing these things in Solidity are, is extremely expensive. Basically, doing um, elliptic curve uh, pair checking, for instance, is um, entirely possible to do in Solidity but it would cost so much gas that it couldn't fit in a single block. So the reason they're being added is that there are, it's very possible to create very efficient implementations of these things on the client side. So um, by making them a built-in con- contract, it's significantly cheaper to do these operations. And 
these implementations can be you know highly optimized implemented in assembly or whatever any client wants to implement them in and make them very efficient and so we we now have these uh, cryptography basics in place um, that are now relatively cheap to to actually perform yeah exactly uh I, I, I think it, it would be also nice maybe if we could just make the the EVM faster, but I, but that also requires um, a lot of um, uh, redoing this work on clients. Whereas if you do it as a contract call, I'm pretty sure that that gets then stored in the chain. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So you, it's eventually, it's essentially a some kind of form of uh, of memoization, so that not everyone has to recalculate the entire contract, which is all fun. Well, um, uh, I mean, so what, what do you mean by stored in the chain? Ah, right, okay. So um, if you have some operation that you want to do, you have to have each of the EVM bytecode bits. You have to store the entire code of what's happening yeah. uh, in sort of one uh, transaction address, whatever. You have to store all of it in one go, and then when someone else wants to va validate that this, this has been executed correctly, they have to re-execute this themselves. Right. Themselves. Um, but if you have this, as these are implemented as um, on another contract, so you will call out to this, you will get the result, and then that result will be stored as like an intermediate result uh, of, of the calculation, unless I'm totally talking out of my ass. Fred, you... you... Uh, I mean, it... it um, so it, it's a built-in contract. So if you, you make a call to it, you could... Uh, with the next thing we'll talk about, you could make a static call to it um, and then just have the result available in your contract. Then it's up to you whether or not you store that um, as the result of your execution. Or, or I mean, you, you, could, you could call the built-in throw away the result and it wouldn't be stored anywhere. Okay, that's fair. I, I thought that it was the, that all calls were stored, even ones that were sort of executed by contracts. I think I'm just wrong. That's fine. Being wrong, being wrong is okay. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to be corrected. Uh, at the moment, when you call someone else, you have to say how many bytes you're expecting, which is fine for stuff like numbers because you know exactly how many bytes a number is going to be but is rubbish for uh, arrays i mean you can you i think uh, at the moment you just store a pointer somewhere and then you return a pointer but then that means that you don't end up with much genericism so if you uh, are delegating calls to someone else so you take someone's uh, um you take a a request for a call and then you pass that on to another contract you, you you basically have to uh, uh, redo that work for every single different call that there could be because you then have to recalculate the length of the return. So now there is just uh, one call where you say how how many bytes is the length is of this return, and then you and then and then you can just accept that many bytes. You don't have to calculate it in advance, which is uh, a real nicety. I'm not sure it actually does it make anything faster or, or is it just um, straight up ergonomics and uh, expressivity kind of stuff I'd say it's uh, ergonomics and expressivity <laughs> uh, ex expressiveness expressivity <laughs> I don't know oh sure. yeah okay <laughs> um, I, I don't think uh, yeah I don't think it makes anything faster per se but it's just it's been a pain in the ass to try to do this before and now it's uh, now it's easy so yeah 
Yeah. Uh, covered static? Sorry? Did you cover static already? No, we haven't. Well, we, we, mentioned, we mentioned it. it. Briefly. We mentioned it in passing. Static That's called call. foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah. That's writing 101. <laughs> so this static call uh, basically is a call. You can call a function. Uh, I don't know if I have time to explain this if you don't know what calling a function is. But you can uh, uh, call a function in a way that's, that basically enforces that nothing can be changed as a result of this function. It's a pure so, function. It is a pure function, yeah. this, this The Haskell guy is made very happy by this. We have almost Haskell on the EVM. <laughs> uh, do people have tried to make Haskell on the v- EVM before, right? Well, uh, I don't know about Haskell, but I have seen an EVM backend to Idris, uh, except it didn't work. Like, it was so ridiculously slow that you, like, basically adding two numbers would fill up a block. So it was just not very good. Well, uh, WASM contracts will fix everything, yes. right? Uh, yeah, of course. Once we've got WASM contracts, uh, uh, and nothing will be a problem in the EVM ever again. Uh, that's, that's, that's not true. Um, and now, I think these are some a bit more of, of, of contentious issues, mm-hmm. contentious changes. Well, I think the, the uncle's one is probably fine. Basically, um, Ethereum rewards you even if you were not the winner. Uh, it has it has like a the the blockchain participation trophy. So, so to clarify, uh, you, you said if you're not the winner, you still get paid. If you're not the winner in the proof of work lottery. Um, so in proof of work, you have to produce a block within a certain amount of time. Uh, if two people produce a block at the same time, one can only get accepted, but both are valid. So the in the the uh, sort of one that didn't get accepted but is still valid still gets some reward. Yeah, and these are called uncles. And then there's delaying the ice age, which basically means that Ethereum will actually continue to work uh, instead of now where like the, the times for transactions are getting longer and longer and longer. This was supposed to be on purpose so that uh, there would be like an impetus for implement- implementing proof of stake. Um, but then everyone decided that proof of stake was hard and they didn't want to do it. And so they did these other things instead. They just they just changed a number, which is much easier. And then they did another thing, which is just one changing the, a number. One of the larger and most contentious of all is uh, re- the reduction of the block reward from 5 to 3 Ether. Um, and I'm very curious to hear if you, if either of you have heard feedback about this. This... <laughs> Well, I think I think people who already hold a lot of ether are probably happy because uh, this means that they their ether is gains value faster. Well, yeah, um, I haven't really seen any uh, direct feedback after the hard fork, but there was a lot of feedback before the hard fork. So, like you said, it's definitely one of the most contentious um, EIPs out there. And uh, like, if you go to GitHub and look at the pull request for it, the discussion is miles long. Um, at some point it was actually right after the hard fork, uh, someone wrote int 03 H wrote painful births are always the most rewarding. Thanks for your work on this. (laughs) Okay, <laughs> and, uh, that's graphic. And, and the the discussion has just kept going since then. Um, so, okay. So the thing is, but surely, but like yeah. you said, there's there's one aspect in which we're now saying the inflation is less, and so theoretically it should be worth more. Um, 
but the difference is so subtle and it's it's very hard to argue that the value of cryptocurrencies right now is based on um, nice clean theoretical economics <laughs> right uh, yeah so whether or not um, the reduction in rewards will actually increase the value of the coin maybe long term but we'll have proof of stake long before that kicks in I think that's very optimistic of you <laughs> uh, surely the surely the f per second if you want to phrase it like that has increased though because the the block time has gone down by more than 50 percent, right. i believe so so that that's where the whole argument sort of um starts coming up to something that's um hard to pinpoint like what whether one side is right or wrong um because like you're saying the f per second minor reward has increased actually but that's only because like the ice age difficulty bomb had started kicking in and the like block times were getting really long and now we're delaying that and so by kicking in this you know um, reduction in reward and you know having the block time again we're back to what it was but we're actually below what it was if we look a year ago right i have i have a question why so it's it's being touted as like the first step uh in the process of moving from proof of work to proof of stake but why is that why is this lowering of the fee part of that step because we're weaning off the dependency of miners <laughs> yeah it's or it's sort of um it's kind of stupid oh. because the community like ethereum is built on the miners our security is coming from the miners obviously we need to reward them um but at the same time, you, you kind of don't want to like go from having massively profitable mining industry to zero in one day. But what you just said before, if the, if the reward per second right now is actually potentially higher, then how is this in any way weaning them off? Uh, because it's lower than it was a year ago. And so that, that's what many of yeah, them so like, are well, arguing yeah. that, uh, you know, when we bought our mining equipment a year and a half ago, the promise was that we would get 5th per block and they made all their profitability calculations based on that. Now you're changing the game and we are you know, barely profitable anymore. Um, and what will probably happen is that there will be uh, an Ethereum, I guess, whatever you would call pre-Metropolis, the, the Ethereum village. Uh, which would be like whatever miners go off and they'll continue doing their own thing, or they'll just mine Monero and fund the drugs trade. Yeah, Miner, miners will will follow the profits, and so they'll mine something else that's more profitable. And I don't think it's a problem, honestly. That um, I, I even think like cutting off completely from full reward to, to nothing is a problem because th they have other things to do with their hardware. Um, it's not, and the argument that we should be like reducing miners because they won't be there. Like, what are we trying to gain? Are we trying to protect people and their investments from themselves? Or like, I, I'm not sure. Like, the I, I haven't fully understood that argument of weaning off like the miner community on, um, on that topic um because we kind of just very quickly touched on it before but can we go a little bit more 
into this the difficulty bomb or the ice age extension like what what is what have they actually done to do this like what does that mean when they say oh yeah we're going to postpone this so basically the uh mining of ethereum with each block it becomes a little bit harder to yes. make the next block mm-hmm. and so as a result it uh since it's a little bit harder and it's basically you it's it's a lottery you you random you're getting random chances at it if it's more difficult to get each one and it's less likely that you get each one then it takes a little bit longer uh each time mm-hmm. and so um but how, the, how would they postpone that exactly? Right. So the way you postpone that is you then reduce the difficulty again by like wow. a, a chunk, which is exactly what they've done. They and reduce so they, the difficulty, which is why the block times have gone so down so low. And now uh, you can pay with beer with Ethereum again. So it's really a dramatic, it was like a it, dramatic shift. Definitely like, a dramatic shift. So you, fork, you see these things on, on Reddit of like, oh my God, block times went down to 13 seconds or whatever. And mm. uh, it was, or uh, confirmation times or whatever. And then over time though, again, this will become they longer will and longer and longer and longer. get back to this point okay. again at some point in the future but hopefully uh, uh putting my optimistic hat on we will have the proof of stake by then but this means they could do this at any time as well they could just do this again yeah They'd be like oh actually yeah but so so the <clears throat> the original thought here um and, and this is actually it's pretty important to distinct or to say that this is different from like normal quote-unquote difficulty increase so Bitcoin has difficulty increase, but that is as a result of more miners joining the network. Uh, so because there is more hash power, it increases difficulty. This is an artificial difficulty increase. Even if there are no more miners, difficulty will increase because it's built into the code that you know oh. we're increasing difficulty as a function of time. And the, well, actually, Bitcoin has that as well. It's just not as uh, fast, fast acting as oh, the really? ICH I didn't Ethereum. Realize. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah, they they add one zero to the hash mm-hmm. to the length of zeros that you got to find. So, um, and um, the reason they put this in is is purely as an incentive mechanism to switch to proof of stake. That that's wow. the only point. Like they 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 wanted to say, unless we switch to proof of stake, this network will be worthless. And uh, it's just that they also conveniently have a way to postpone it indefinitely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I know that in this uh, hard fork, there had been, pl- like, there were certain other features that it were supposed to be included. We just kind of discovered this. One of these was proof of stake. And yeah. so, so really, was proof of stake supposed to be in the business? Byzantium. 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 Well, it was so uh, Byzantium and Constantinople are the split-up version of the Metropolis, which was supposed it, to be a single update. It was originally, to be one. that was supposed to be the proof of stake one. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to have all these other things going on. Um, but yeah, no, uh, it, th- these things have been put into the easy bit and the hard bit, basically. Um, and this past Monday was the easy bit. This past Monday was the easy yeah. bit. Although saying that, like, there were certainly a lot of, of problems with it, like. Uh, the fact that both Ethereum and Geth had had major problems days before the the uh, the hard fork happened. I don't know if CPP Ethereum had that, but you know C C plus plus is known for its reliability, so I, I assume that they were perfect. Okay. And like uh, the, the 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 fact that we haven't had any uh, major problems since then is is a real. It's it's very encouraging, and it and it's very um, we're we're very lucky, um, but we were certainly cutting it very close and you see things like there are improvement proposals that were accepted like two months before the hard fork was going to happen and they didn't have a concrete spec they only had like a uh, the the proposal 
and some some ideas and uh yeah in in like even though this was quote unquote the easy bit this was still like uh there was a lot of work put into this and it was um still cutting it fine as far as like whether or not it was going to go well and there was a lot of feedback from people saying that this was somehow mismanaged or poorly communicated why is that i think is that too political I think I think it was that that everyone was pushed for time to try and prevent the network from becoming worthless as a result of this difficulty bomb, and so uh, uh, corners were cut. And luckily, we we still had quite a recognisable square. If I'm going to continue that metaphor, but uh, yeah, we, we, wow. there, there were still uh, um, uh, sacrifices were made in the name of uh, pragmatism. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really hard to know exactly what goes into, like like you said, the management. It's hard to quote any particular mismanagement. Um, but certainly, so the idea was we pushed to the test network and uh, the notice to push to the test network was rather short. I, I, I'm not in the dev calls, so I don't know how short it actually was, but I know that we... Parity pushed it out pretty um, short time before it was supposed to happen on the test network. And then the idea was um, once it's run uh, reliably without issue on the test network for a certain number of weeks, it should be good to go in production and be pushed and etc. cetera. Uh, the problem is that there's no incentive whatsoever to try to break anything on the test network, right? Like it, it's not worth anything. You can't steal anything. It doesn't... You can't short the testnet uh, tokens and, and try to disrupt the network and profit off of it. Uh, so there's no incentive to try to break it. And therefore, nothing, no issues were found. But then when the Ethereum Foundation, uh, I, th- I think it, all the work is sponsored by the Ethereum Foundation, but I wouldn't swear on it. Uh, with fuss testing, they actually found several issues with Parity, uh, found issues with Geth and uh, several other clients. And these are hugely valuable tests and, and like we uh, should have had that a lot sooner. Uh, we should have made sure that all of those tests are running successfully before we even commit to a date um, of when we should push out the actual live updates. Um, unfortunately now like the tests were running they were finding issues and everyone was having to patch their clients like days before uh, the mm-hmm. thing was going live so those sort of sort of unfortunate but um, hopefully we'll learn from it and be sure to like employ all of these new testing techniques that we have in our arsenal now and and uh, do that long before uh, the next one and this is the thing, like, this is a, this is still a problem of our own creation. Uh, this is like, we, the, the, the Ethereum community decided that they wanted to have this difficulty bomb. And really it was the difficulty bomb that caused all of these, these, these corners to be cut. But like, as has been shown here, we can still cheat in our Weight Watchers diary. We can still just uh, postpone this inevitably if we want to. Um, and and if we we realize that these things are, are causing more problems than they're going to solve, uh, we can always just disable the difficulty bomb entirely and keep miners going indefinitely. But obviously that has long term consequences that maybe we don't want to deal with uh, as well. And, and and this is the thing: everything's a trade off. 
we can complain about like the, the deployment of this. Uh, and I and I do love campaigning, so I am going to continue doing it. But we 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 have to accept that that everything is going to be a trade off where there's some uh, benefits to the approach that was taken, and there are some downsides. And the benefits was that we got the transaction time down again, and the downsides was were that maybe the whole network's going to go down in the next two weeks because someone finds a DOS. <laughs> yeah, it's all pluses and minuses. Um, looking forward, we don't have any information really on the second part of it yet, do we? Not, not other than, so, I mean, the idea is to deploy this uh, hybrid proof of stake scheme and um, the details of which are still unclear. But we were talking a little bit about proof of stake earlier, and I think it's it's important to clarify that this next update will not move Ethereum to proof of stake. I mean, it will move it to this hybrid model. There will still be miners. There will still be proof of work done. The proof of stake bits is sort of to create, start creating checkpoints and um, start building up the architecture so that we, in some other third future um, hard fork, we can um, actually move to full proof of stake. Was Metropolis ever proposed as the movement towards full proof of stake, or was it always movement towards hybrid? My understanding, it was always uh, proposed to be hybrid, yeah. Okay. Do they have a name for the next one that is full proof of stake? I don't know. I, I don't think so. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't have a funny well, name for it either, I'm afraid. And like, uh, there's, there's a reason this proof of stake keeps being postponed. There are no... Um, production-ready implementations of proof-of-stake in existence right now. Not really. I mean, there, there are ones that exist in some university laboratory uh, somewhere, but there is nothing... There are no major blockchains that use proof-of-stake because, uh, because the technology is about as old now as proof-of-work was when Bitcoin first came out. But doesn't, like, BitShares and Steemit actually use it fully? Uh, are they big enough to, to for oh. this to be okay? Uh, like Ethereum is the second biggest blockchain in the world as far as uh, monetary value, which is the only value that matters. I, I'd certainly, yeah. I mean, I'd certainly say that um, Steemit and and BitShares and whatever are is certainly a, a big enough test base to say that delegated proof of stake exists and works. Um, it's just that the type of proof of stake that Ethereum is going after is the one that is still kind of in a research phase and it's not really settled exactly how it should work or whether or not it, it does work to a certain extent. So um, uh, it's it's um, proof of stake is, is much like proof of work, a very broad term. Uh, the devil is in the details. And some models of proof of stake exist and work, but they're not the types of like, it's not the model that Ethereum is going after. So, yeah, right. Well, on that note, do we want to say some co concluding thoughts? Sure. Uh, concluding thoughts. Everything seems to be good so far. Uh, the, the the fork went about as smoothly as you'd expect, given the circumstances. Uh, no miners have um, taken their toys and gone home. They're, 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 everyone's on the new version. There's been no revolt. There's, there has been no uh, popularist uprising, no. 
There has been no Ethereum French Revolution. I know that um, the people who were very, very stressed last week seem less stressed, which is good. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think that goes for the whole community. Um, you could like leading up to a hard fork is always kind of nerve wracking for everyone involved, whether you're you know nothing about it and you hear the term hard fork, like I said before, it's kind of stress inducing in itself. Uh, or whether you're a developer working on this, uh, trying to push out updates. I think every, it, it's sort of, uh, and everyone in between, it's, it's, it's always kind of stressful. And it's good that it's live and hopefully no one finds any issues. Cool. And hopefully if they are found, they're patched before they are they're, uh, actually exploited. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and right. looking forward to the future where we get some more proof-of-stake stuff. I'm always a big proof-of-stake nerd. I'm always an advocate uh, for getting it out there and uh, uh, preventing the, the inevitable heating of the planet. Hmm. Um, yep. So, How do you guys feel? Maybe maybe on a future podcast we could actually go really like quite a bit deeper into proof-of-stake and actually look at a lot of the different proposals. Yeah. Sure, would be, be cool. I mean... I know, I know Polkadot's implementation very well. I don't know Casper very well. And I don't know the delegated stuff that well. So uh, it'd be really good as an excuse to actually find out what the alternatives might be. Nice. And anyone listening, if you have some ideas for future podcast topics, please just let us know. We are very interested to hear what you think. Absolutely. And thanks for cool. listening. Thanks for listening.